Hi there, and welcome back to the Birth Story Podcast. I'm Crystal, the host of this podcast and therapist and owner of Southeast Perinatal Counseling, a virtual practice for Georgia and South Carolina residents specializing in maternal mental health. In today's episode, we'll dive into our first birth story, my birth story. I hope that through hearing my experiences, it brings you awareness and encourages you to not only self-reflect on your own motherhood journey, but also that of others around you. By the end of it, I'm sure you'll see that our experiences may be individual and unique, but there's quite a bit of normalcy that we each seek to create as we navigate motherhood. I guess I have to say that my motherhood journey way before I was even thinking about having children, even way before I even met my husband, actually. So I can recall being in undergrad and having significant pain, overwhelming, achy, stabbing, consistent, never-ending type of pain. I'm talking about the type of pain that feel like period cramps, but like times a hundred because I would be literally curled over, unable to move. And oddly enough, um, which I later found out, but oddly enough at the time, I was so confused because the, the pain was in my, you know, abdomen area, but, um, I would oftentimes experience um, like pain in the rear as well. Um, So that was extremely confusing at the time, Um, but made a whole lot of sense once I figured out what it was. Um, But just going back, that pain, I can recall going to the health center over and over and over again before I realized okay, I need to go off campus and go and see someone uh, at a provider office that's in my community instead of on the university campus. And so that's exactly what I did. I'm not going to say that that was a huge mistake, but for years it was a waste of time um, because I got so many misdiagnoses. Like I would hear... Um, you know, maybe this is pelvic inflammatory disease and they would run tests on that. Or maybe this is a UTI. This is definitely a UTI. And I'm like, doesn't feel like one, but okay, go off. And so there was that. There would be um, just a number of different, different illnesses that they thought it was. And I'm like, none of that is is it like it's got to be something else and so I essentially for like maybe three years kind of just floated around from physician to physician trying to figure out if someone else could give me like a proper diagnosis um, to help me figure out like what the heck was going on because this just was not I mean I don't want to say normal but it wasn't normal like it usually things can be explained away and this was just not one of them um and so yeah that went on for quite a quite a quite a long time and again in college I kind of just floated around to what was available in my community so the primary care physicians that were located around my university um it wasn't until I 
you know, graduated and went to graduate school to where my options kind of opened up um, because it was a different area and I had more resources and income at the time. Um, was also off of the university's insurance. <laughs> so that was another thing. Um, but yeah, and so one of the things that I find to be appalling and discouraging when it comes to, you know, women seeking care in general, but specifically with regard to the diagnosis that I, you know, ultimately had was the amount of one, shame, two, um, belittling and almost like accusatory type of language that's used when seeking treatment. And, you know, it could be, it could have been for a number of reasons. It could have been because, you know, I was young at the time and, um, the physicians just didn't know how to communicate (laughs) or, Maybe it was because I was a woman of color. Um, It could have been because they were unfamiliar with this type of condition. I mean, it could have been a number of reasons, but um, just the, man, like the poor bedside manner that I was met with. I often walked away from, and I'm talking, y'all, like I, I can't count on my hands and feet how many times I went to the doctor to try and figure out like what the heck was going on. And Likewise, I can't count on my hands and feet how many times I often left those doctor's offices feeling like I wasn't being heard, feeling like they thought that I might have been making up my symptoms. Um, I don't know. It was just completely odd. Um, And from having those experiences for years and going in and out of the doctor's offices, having to call out from my little college part-time job or um, literally driving down the road and having such intense pain to where I had to pull over because there was no way that I could even sit and drive. Um, I started having anxiety attacks And so that was something that was completely new to me. I had never experienced that throughout my life. Um, And what's interesting is I actually had childhood asthma. Um, And I know a lot of individuals who say that sometimes when they um, have an asthma attack, sometimes their anxiety flares up. And that wasn't even the case with me. It literally was me just not knowing what the heck is going on and not having professionals who were... Um, I mean, quite honestly, who didn't seem as concerned to investigate and really get to the root of might have what might have been um, really happening. Um, but yeah, so I an anxiety attack for me would look like literally pain, uh, the onset of pain, and me like literally having chest palpitations that were significant, me feeling like I was unable to breathe, shortness of breath, so much so that I can recall, even in undergrad, um, going to the emergency room, like, quite frequently, because I just didn't know what was going on with my body, and I did not understand it. It was 
incredibly terrifying. Um, and even now I look back and I'm just like, man, like how in the world was I like dealing with that and trying to go to school? Just completely wild, completely wild. So we want to fast forward to when I um, went to graduate school. So went to graduate school and still having um, these these same pains and issues, not really knowing what's going on. And um, I ended up having, I believe, an ultrasound done. And this was like the precursor to, okay, somebody might be on to something here. <laughs> and so I um, went in for the ultrasound and there was a cyst that was found on an ovary. And so... Um, They said, oh, you know, it's so small, it'll probably resolve on its own. That might be the pain. And so that was at least somewhat reassuring that I knew um, possibly what could be causing it. It wasn't this, you know, unknown um, or completely gray area. Like there was some light that I saw. And so that, again, that was reassuring for me. Um, And then (laughs) shortly after... I received a diagnosis for um, instratitial cystitis. Um, And so that was something that also was extremely helpful and connected a lot of dots for me. Um, That actual diagnosis came uh, fairly, I would say fairly quickly, um, after having bounced around to maybe three OBGYNs in graduate school. And after I received that diagnosis, everything was kind of like, okay, things are being connected. And just an FYI, that interstitial cystitis is a chronic condition causing the bladder pressure um, and oftentimes pelvic pain. And so that's what they were going off of. That's what they thought it was. Um, I was having some issues with like frequent urination and, um, like again, pressure and whatnot. And so that's what they assumed it was. Um, and then I, by the grace of God, uh, met a, uh, OBGYN who, actually had quite a few patients who also were dealing with this same uh, pain. And while she definitely said that the institutional society was something that I was dealing with, um, it might also be ding, 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 endometriosis. And so um, for those who may not know, endometriosis is essentially where uh, the shedding of tissue that we would normally shed throughout our menstrual um does not completely flesh out. And so it instead uh, creates adhesions and attaches itself to ovaries and fallopian tubes and causes pain and damage. And so that's what she thought it was. But the thing with endometriosis, if you're not aware, is that you have to actually Um, have a procedure done in order for it to be diagnosed. And so before any of that actual procedure or surgery, as some like to say, were even on the table, excuse me, that particular OBGYN suggested getting on birth control and seeing if that would um, help. 
Um, and we know that sometimes birth control is often a go-to method for treating endometriosis. And when I say treat, I mean help with the symptoms of. Um, and unfortunately, that was not helpful or useful to me. Um, there was no relief that I found with that. And so we went back to the drawing table. And another alternative was an antidepressant. And so um, I did begin taking the antidepressant for quite some time. And um, it was not a good fit for me. Um and yeah, so I'm like, okay, what can I do next? And so uh, what actually happened was we decided during a consult, you know, what this would look like for me and my fertility options going forward. Um, and so we kind of sat on it for about six months and because she just wanted to make absolutely sure because I was so young at the time in my early 20s um, that this option could you know, potentially cause more issues um, because, again, they would have to go in. Although um, a non-invasive procedure, uh, it still could potentially lead to scarring or punctures and things of that nature. And so, again, we sat on it for about six months. During that period after having received the diagnosis, I'll tell you that my anxiety, again, skyrocketed, skyrocketed, um, mostly because, you know, just not knowing what fertility could look like for me for the future was extremely um, unsettling, to say the least. Um, I knew... From an early age, just being around my mom and all my cousins and my aunts that I wanted to also experience motherhood and not just experience it, um, but I wanted to be able to birth my child and experience it. And that was really important to me. Um, and I know everyone has their own journey and I can appreciate the way that everyone chooses to mother and parent their children. Um, but for me, you know, this was something that was important and you know, I kind of felt like with that diagnosis that it was stripped away from me. I had no other alternatives and um, I had no options. And so that was, you know, scary. It was <laughs> nerve wracking. I mean, it presented so many. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, what does that mean for a partner in the future? Like, would it be difficult? Like, I mean, just so many, I guess, um, unknowns at that early of an age and not necessarily knowing how to sort through all of those, you know, thoughts and emotions. Um, now that I think back on it, there's a lot of, in being a, a therapist, I can look back on it and say, man, it would have been so helpful if I would have been connected with a provider um, in mental health to kind of sort through not only my anxiety, but um, some of the irrational beliefs that I was creating um, and kind of holding on to. Um, and even not just that, me kind of changing how I identified based off of being a mom, um, and not even <laughs> having gotten pregnant or started that journey into motherhood, but, you know, just automatically saying, okay, with this diagnosis, this means that, and creating the most catastrophic thought in my head of what my future could look like. Um, and so, you know, looking back now and being a, a therapist, I totally see where, 
you know, it would have been helpful for me to have been connected with a provider so that I could, you know, sort through and process some of that fear. Um, but yeah, definitely a tough time. And so we fast forward six months later and I decided that I would move forward with getting the laparoscopic procedure done. And so what that essentially is are um, three, possibly four, um, small incisions in your abdomen, one in your belly button, where they go in with a camera and tool and essentially try and clear out as much of the um, excess tissue as they can. Um, one of the conversations that myself and my OBGYN had that I found to be extremely, um, I guess I would say, uh, not just personal, but I felt like she created an opportunity to see uh, just something other than the negative that I was seeing before. Um, I got to see another alternative when she sat me down and talked to me about, you know, my options in terms of the procedure and just how deep they would go and how much clearing they would do and what they would touch. Um, and we specifically talked about, you know, not um, not taking off as much as they normally would on my ovaries because there was the potential of them being punctured or damaged or anything like that. And so I knew that for me, you know, I didn't want to lose um, my ovaries and um, I knew that that was a risk. And so um, she was very careful in taking into consideration um, what I said and making me very much so a part of my treatment, which I completely and wholeheartedly value and um I would definitely say that was one of the first times I've ever, one, just felt like a provider who was there to investigate what exactly was going on with me was actually, you know, invested and cared just as much as I did, uh, which sounds so basic and so simple because you would think, but uh, we know that that's not always the the case, um, unfortunately. Um, but it was also the first time I ever felt like I was my own advocate, just being able to say like, mm, no, I don't want us to do this. When you go in, um, let's try and not do this or that. And, you know, that was extremely empowering for me. Um, and that advocacy piece definitely presents itself again later in my birth story. So stick around for that. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So in the process of me um, having the procedure done, um, I still didn't know what, you know, my fertility options look like because fertility um again, is a factor that comes into place with endometriosis because of the scarring and adhesions that the tissues create. Um, but yeah, based off of the um, stage of endometriosis that I had, um, she believed that it would be important for me and my significant other, um, who at the time was not 
we were not engaged at the time. It was my husband, but we were not engaged at the time that we would, you know, start having conversations about family planning. And that presented, y'all, like when I say an insurmountable amount of pressure on me, like being in grad school and hearing, okay, y'all might want to start talking about family planning. It's like, girl, we're not even engaged yet. Like, what are you, what are you even talking about? But, um, I mean, that's the scary truth. Like you just, you kind of don't know. Um, and again, based off of what she saw, um, while performing the procedure, she thought that it would be in our best interest to talk about family planning. Um, and so, you know, I walk away from that procedure and for that, I guess, next year and the, the years following, just holding on to so much fear of, you know, like, man, if we don't get pregnant right away, you know, what does that mean for our options? Um, and the guilt that I carried, just knowing that, you know, I had a partner here who, um, was telling me sweet nothings in my ear and wanted to marry me. But, you know, what if I wasn't able to give him a child and, you know, my, my mom, a grandchild and just thinking about like, man, like maybe I should have been able to go to the doctor sooner when I first felt it in as a freshman, instead of waiting until I was a sophomore and feeling that intense pain. Like just, I mean, just thinking of all the guilt and, you know, the shame that would surround me if I was not able to carry my own child. And, you know, again, looking back on it, it it is just a constant reminder of why these birth stories are incredibly important so that, you know, not just those who have conceived or who are have babies earthside or whatever the case may be, but even those who are college women who are, you know, just going about their merry way, maybe they'll listen to this podcast and say, you know what, like, I need to get connected with someone because I have these same feelings of guilt and shame and fear and anxiety. And, you know, this is something that I need to do and sort through. And so, again, that is why we're here. I look back on it and I'm like, God, I just wish someone would have told me, girl, like get connected with someone and work through this because, I mean, you're carrying all of this um, emotional, um, this just emotional load that has absolutely, you know, no bearing on what actually will happen, right? Because we can't predict the future. We can't fortune tell. Yes, we have evidence to suggest that, you know, our options may be limited, but that there's no absolute there, right? And so it's important for for would have been important for me at the time. (laughs) And it's important for mamas and women out there to hear this story and other stories and to know that, you know, the evidence may be bleak. The evidence may be limiting. um, But unless it's 100%, you know what I mean? Like we got to be able to say, that, you know, there's opportunity for other alternatives for us to have a different perspective and resist the urge to take on that guilt and that shame because there is no guilt and there is no shame in not being able to um, 
meet our expectations the way that we have them set for. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that a little later. So yeah, so fast forward a little, little bit more, graduated from graduate school and got engaged and got married shortly after we got married, found out that we were pregnant. Ding, 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 ding. So no issues with actually trying to conceive. And um, honestly, that was quite surprising for me because again, I had been holding since, I mean, what, for like six years or more, the idea that my fertility journey would be an uphill battle and it'd be hella rocky and um, the chances of me being able to carry my own child successfully to term um, would be essentially non-existent. And so that was what I was going off of. And so to, you know, to get pregnant almost immediately was a complete shock, not just to me, but to my husband as well. Um, and so I'll share with you a little bit about my actual pregnancy. Um, in my first trimester, I actually experienced some, um, subchorionic hemorrhage. And so what that is, is essentially, um, bleeding that occurs when, um, your placenta sort of detaches from the uterus. And so I had no idea what was happening. I didn't know. I actually was, um, I relocated to Georgia um, where my husband was, was living. And I was doing therapy and was um, at a facility um, doing an assessment and felt a gush. And at the time, I was like, man, that's so weird. Like, like, what could that be? I'm literally just sitting down at a desk doing an assessment. Like, what is happening? And so, you know, I got through the assessment for maybe like another 45 minutes and went to the restroom and checked and um, saw blood in my panties. And so, you know, completely alarmed I'll tell you I literally stood in the bathroom um it was a one I can remember it was a one stall bathroom or just like a one toilet bathroom and so I literally just stood there just like looking at my underwear just like totally confused and like just I did not understand at all what was going on. Um, I had not even thought <laughs> about any sort of complications that may occur. I guess I went from thinking the worst of the worst, catastrophic thinking with my um, diagnosis of endometriosis to being able to get pregnant without complications and not not thinking about any issues after that um so to have this happen I mean I was I mean I I believe I might have stood in that bathroom for like five minutes just like not even moving not wiping not just literally standing there um and so I don't know how I shocked myself to come back to but um I did come back to um and kind of 
aroused myself into the here and now and um, just immediately was like, okay, I need to get out of here. I was in a different city, so not in the city where we lived, but I had um, uh, went to another city to complete this assessment as a favor for another therapist. So I'm out in the middle of nowhere unsure again because I just relocated to Georgia where the hell I am where's the nearest hospital didn't want to call 911 and like cause everyone at this facility to like freak the heck out so I ended up um quickly leaving and going to the nearest emergency room and literally it was in some backwoods town y'all and (laughs) I mean, I was just like, where the hell am I? If I'm miscarrying, these people are not going to know what to do. Just like my own um, a a million thoughts running through my head, just ruminating and overthinking every little thing. Me thinking, why the hell did I sit through and complete that assessment when I initially felt that gush 45 minutes before? Like, I mean, just thinking about everything, like if... If something happens to baby and something happens to me, like my husband's like an hour away or, you know, 45 minutes to an hour away, he can't get to us in time. I mean, literally thinking about everything. So get into the emergency room. Um, luckily, they quickly took me back. Um, and we're on, I'm just going to put a trigger warning here. Um, took me back and did a vaginal ultrasound I believe or maybe they did just a regular ultrasound and then or abdominal ultrasound and then um they did a vaginal one I think initially when they did the abdominal one they couldn't pick up a heartbeat and so that was extremely unsettling and um I just remember having just if I can describe it, just a wet blanket on top of me of fear and like I didn't know where I was, just an out-of-body experience because I didn't know like what do you mean you can't hear anything? What do you mean you have to do a vaginal a vaginal ultrasound? And so that's what they did and you know they were able to pick up his heartbeat um, and so they took blood and examined me and yes, um, they did say that it was a subchorionic hemorrhage, and um, they said it should resolve on its own. They gave me the diameter of it and told me to take it into my OBGYN the very next day so that they could talk to me about what, you know, it was further and what exactly I needed to do. Um, went into my OBGYN the very next day, and... You know, they said that sometimes these things happen, that it should resolve on its own. It did not appear to be um, anything that would indicate that I was miscarrying or that um, there would be any further complications. But it was important that I took it easy, not necessarily bed rest, but just took it easy. And so, yeah, that's what happened there. Kind of took it easy pull back from cases, um, and work and just kind of did my thing. And if you want to say sort it through my feelings, sort it through my feelings with my husband, um, and just try to figure out 
you know, what exactly was next for us if the worst of the worst actually happened. And so, you know, all throughout my head, I was playing endometriosis. I was playing, Crystal, you're overworking yourself. Why the hell are you going an hour out of your way to go and, like, help someone else do do their sessions for them? Like, you should be close to your doctor. And, I mean, just things that, you know, I think we all sometimes put on ourselves when we're presented with a difficult situation. We kind of find those reasons to put blame on ourselves and you know it definitely took a lot of reassurance for my spouse and me just you know sitting back and reflecting on you know not necessarily the things that I couldn't change or all the factors that had already happened but you know what in this moment was within my control and what I could do moving forward in order to you know, try and have a successful, um, safe and healthy pregnancy for myself and my sweet boy. And so that's what I did. Um, and it actually helped quite a bit for my mental, my mental health. And, you know, I would have my follow-ups and didn't really hear anything else about, um, having any issues with the subchorionic hemorrhage. I didn't have any more bleeding thereafter. Um, and so they said that um, after reviewing and um, giving me an ultrasound and an examination that um, everything looked to be resolving on its own. So that was extremely reassuring. Um, and so I <laughs> had an un or an unotherwise uh or an otherwise, sorry, uh, uncomplicated pregnancy um, until the third trimester hit, (laughs) specifically the end of the third trimester. Um, And that's when I started to experience quite a few different issues. Um, The first one being um, my amniotic fluid. And so initially they said that I had too much amniotic fluid. And then it was, oh, you don't have enough amniotic fluid. And then it became, um, he's small for his gestational age. Um, And then later, it was pregnancy-induced hypertension or gestational hypertension. And so, you know, with all of those things happening one after the other, um, at the very end of my pregnancy, you know, I'm like, oh my goodness, what does this mean for my birth plan? What does this mean for the health of my child? What does this mean for my health? You know, understanding that not only the the maternal mortality rate was high, but the black <laughs> maternal mortality rate is extremely high in, in the United States. And so just paying attention to that and being aware of you know, what my birth could potentially look like and, um, you know, just just in general, just being concerned. And so, um, you know, I did have difficult conversations with my OBGYN um, on multiple occasions. And, you know, she stressed to me the significance of delivering a healthy boy, um, an alive boy, and myself being healthy and alive at the end of the day. And so that was something that we went off of. And, you know, I do appreciate the advocacy that she um, worked from, I would say. 
the unfortunate part came in that she was actually on vacation when my delivery came. And so just for backstory, I went in for a um, routine check at 36 weeks and was told that my pregnancy-induced hypertension was just a little bit too out of control and baby was actually beginning to lose weight while in utero. And so they thought that it would be important for me to go ahead and get induced. And so they sent me over to the the labor and delivery floor, uh, which was connected to the, um, the OBGYN office. And so that's what I did. I went over and um, settled in and... <laughs> Got the Pitocin going. I wanted my birth to be unmedicated from the very beginning. And so that is what I requested. The issue came in where my OBGYN again was not present because she, I believe, was on vacation. And um, there wasn't anyone else on call who I had previously seen in the office. So, you know, that kind of made things difficult in terms of being able to have someone other than myself and my husband be an advocate for us. Um, sort of reminded me of in this time, back when I was in undergrad and not necessarily having anyone hear me or feeling like, Having me a part of my treatment was something that was important when all that I ever knew, because I had worked in the NICU, worked on labor and delivery floor as a case manager in my early part of my career, all that I've ever known is that your patients, they're very much so a part of their treatment. And so to not have that happen, to be a therapist, to, you know, (laughs) know all of these things that have been in the medical care setting for years... I mean, I felt out of control. I felt like there were no options. And, I mean, it was scary. It was completely scary. Um, And so some things that were part of my birth plan that did not go accordingly were I wanted to be able to move around. And that was not an option. I asked, you know, could they put the Pitocin, could they put, you know, whatever medications they were giving me um, to induce my labor um, on like a movable um, line and everything was no, like everything was no. It, I, I just was not expecting it. And I, I always look back and I always think that, you know, maybe if... <laughs> Which you, you you can't can't go back can't predict the future but I always think like maybe if my doctor was there like the one who I've been seeing regularly she would have understood you know where I was coming from and um, when really who knows things could have been different um, but at the time I was just concerned about the health and well being of my child and so yeah and so I labored for a little over twenty four hours. Um, and eventually, um, doctors came in and said that they had determined that it was failure to progress because I had not gone past five centimeters for hours. And so they were recommending a C-section at that point, having been over 24 hours in labor, (laughs) contractions, 
were unbearable. And um, I believe my blood pressure was was up as well, um, just from, you know, contracting and being overwhelmed with everything that had been going on. Um, I went along with the C-section and what's interesting there with the C-section is, um, of course, you are provided medications and I had a spinal done and a lot of things are so incredibly fuzzy. A lot of things with my birth story are fuzzy after the C-section and you know, it, I, I share this part not to diminish in any way um, because a vaginal birth, a C-section, it is a birth and it is a beautiful way to bring your child into this world. But I will say that my C-section and the experiences that I had specifically regarding and surrounding it um, were completely fuzzy, y'all. Like, and I, I'm, I'm using the word fuzzy and I hope you understand when I say it that there's just so much that I don't remember about it. And it makes me, it makes me sad. Um, even when I think about it now, you know, it makes me sad that there are hours after my child was on this earth that I don't even recall and I don't remember. Um, I'll also say that, you know, I, in my birth plan, I wanted him to be placed on my chest and that did not happen. Our golden hour did not happen. There were quite a few things that did not happen. Luckily, my spouse did an amazing job of capturing literally everything um, and I, I guess I'm chuckling now because I know you have on your camera roll, like, pictures of you or your child, literally a hundred of them looking the exact same way, and only you know, oh, they blink on that one, or oh, their right thumb was up, so you can tell that it, that's exactly what he did. So I have, like, thousands of photos of him, <laughs> uh, and when I say him, baby, with, um looking the exact same way and only we can see the differences because we're that much in love with him. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, so that, that's the actual birth. And then we move over to, from what I do remember, which was, um, me being in the recovery room after having had the C-section and, um, and him trying to latch on, and I'm not sure if you know, but uh, with C-sections, oftentimes breastfeeding can be a challenge because of medication um, and a number of other things, and latching happened to be one of our challenges, and so that was disheartening, one, because um just on a personal and professional note, I'm also a lactation counselor. And so going back to that shame that I felt um, with endometriosis, I felt that shame again with him and him not being able to latch. Um, just that, you know, my body is supposed to be able to do these things. My body is supposed to 
nursed my baby, my body, um, hell, my body was supposed to naturally birth him vaginally, um, and then here I am with this knowledge and this certification and this background. I've helped mamas all over with breastfeeding, and here I am, and I can't get it right. So um, I also went through those emotions and had to sort through that as well, which took a bit of time, to be honest. And um, yeah, so had some latching difficulty and went to pumping, um, which worked out. And after uh, we moved over to um, our postpartum room, blood pressure was still giving some issues. And then he had jaundice. And so <laughs> it just became like this tug of war of, okay, we're going to get discharged. Oh, wait, no, he, his billy levels for jaundice are not great. So he needs to stay under the light some more. Oh, we're going to have to get him a billy blanket to go home with. Oh, your blood pressure, it's this level. You need to stay longer. We're going to start you on this medication. Just the back and forth was exhausting and it would not let up so much so that my husband and I had to have a difficult conversation with one of the OBGYNs and let her know that, you know, I did not feel as though I was being heard from the moment I was admitted into this hospital to even now being postpartum. And, you know, I would have one nurse come in and say, oh, you know, go to the restroom and, you know, don't flush the toilet because, of course, they want to see if you're clotting or anything like that. And then I'd have another nurse who would come in and say, um, oh, no, don't worry about it. You can go ahead and flush it. And then the other nurse would come in and be like, why did you flush the toilet? And so it was just it was so much confusion to where I was, I was completely overwhelmed. And I'm like, hell, y'all are adding to my blood pressure being this high. Like, what is going on? And so, um, so yeah, we sat down with the doctor, had the difficult conversation. And I'm like, you know, I believe that I would do better at home without having the interruption so that I can bond with my baby. You know, having had uh, the birth experience that I had having labored for so long and had a C-section and everything be fuzzy and the difficulties with latching, just the overwhelm that I felt from the moment I got there. Um, and now being on the postpartum side, supposed to be recovering, but, you know, having doctors come in, one being on call, the next one coming on and it just being totally different um, treatment plans, I was just, I was over it. And I'm like, either you discharge me or I'm leaving AMA. And I know that that was not the best thing to do, but I think that it was, this is where that advocacy comes in again. This is that I talked about feeling when I had my laparoscopic procedure done. Um, I said that and I felt so empowered and just being able to be like, I'm going to leave this hospital if you don't figure out a realistic plan for me, because what was happening was not realistic. Like I was there a little over a week, 
yes, a week being admitted. And I mean, it it may not sound bad to y'all, but like literally having a nurse come in, check my blood pressure and saying it's high, but then another nurse coming in and saying, oh, it's good. Yeah, you're probably going to go home tonight. And then another nurse coming in being like, you're near stroke level. Like, we, you need to relax, whatever you're stressing about. And I'm like, the other nurse just said something completely different. And so it was, it was so much going on. It was so much going on. So luckily that OBGYN who sat down with my husband and I, she came up with a plan that worked for us and we were able to discharge as long as we went and got a blood pressure cuff logged it five times a day and met her in the office um starting the following day and every other day up until and so that's what happened that is exactly what happened and I did that and um eventually weaned off of the blood pressure medication after about two or three months and yeah because of the rocky road that happened with my actual birth and some medical complications after um, with myself and baby, um, I ended up developing postpartum anxiety. And so, you know, having been a practitioner and treating moms um, and dads with postpartum disorders, um, there was so much... I guess, misunderstanding of how, again, how could this happen? Why is this happening? Like, I know these things. I know the techniques. Like, I teach it to other people. Like, what's happening here? Um, But understanding that what is common or what is, um, I guess, the evidence that's fact is that 15 to 20% of women experience significant symptoms of depression or anxiety during pregnancy and postpartum. That 15 to 20% does not say excluding therapists who specialize in maternal mental health, right? It does not say 15 to 20% excluding Crystal who's helped mamas through this, right? And so me being able to work through my anxiety and knowing that, okay, These irrational thoughts that I have, these thoughts that lead me to, you know, fortune tell or predict what's going to happen in the future because of these incidences that have actually happened are not helpful to me moving forward. They're not helpful for my health. They're not helpful for my bonding with my child. (laughs) Not helpful to my relationship because our communication was out of the window. Um, It just was not helpful. And so being able to, um, you know, recognize that these things, they're happening. And if I could, at the bare minimum, extend myself some self-compassion, not hold these expectations that were so great and so rigid against myself, that maybe I can see some alternatives that 
provided some grace for me. And I think that's what I was missing. And it's actually so funny because I look at everything that didn't go right. And I'm like, damn, Crystal, like what took you so long to realize that there clearly are so many alternatives to a particular situation, right? There's so many variables. Um, And so the beautiful thing I would say about this is just being able to understand that every day is a new opportunity for me to have been um, able to see something other than what I thought was. And I know it sounds so basic, but, you know, I thought that my pregnancy was going to be completely uncomplicated. I thought that um, my birth plan was a solid plan. It was hella realistic and that um, my doctor was going to be on call and we were going to be able to birth my sweet boy into this world and he wasn't going to have any medical issues. I wasn't going to have any medical issues. We'd go home in two days, you know, just the, what we see on TV. And I quickly found out that, you know, those expectations, those dreams and those wishes, even if they don't happen, it doesn't mean that I have to assign a negative meaning to those experiences, right? Like I still had the opportunity to say, yeah, no, those experiences did not happen the way that I thought they would happen, but it does not mean that they weren't still significant, memorable, and meaningful to me. Like I can look back and, you know, say, (laughs) you know, like, wow, what great resilience did I have throughout that entire experience and while you know in that moment could not see it but reflecting back I see the resiliency that I had um and being able to find that little bit of courage to to advocate for myself and to point out the things that were adding to you know not just my physical stress but my emotional and mental stress of being um, still admitted in that hospital Um, and being able to navigate, you know, the the medical hiccups that we experienced once we were discharged from the hospital. Um, Yeah, I mean, it it has been a journey and it 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 is a journey. It it still is Um, just trying to navigate what. what expectations are completely rigid and which ones can offer some grace. And I think that's the, if that's the one thing that my birth story has taught me, it is literally that, um, you know, motherhood is not easy. The journey into motherhood is not easy, but there is so much grace that we can extend to ourselves and so many opportunities that, um, can provide comfort if we're able to shift our perspective and, you know, see something other than what isn't working, right? Like I I told my story and I know there's so many different things that um, did not work well, that did not go right, that were 
indeed terrifying, disheartening, <laughs> devastating. Um, but at the same time, there's so much more in there. I read something this past week that said everything happens for a reason and it crossed it out, right? It X'd that out and it said, no, everything doesn't happen for a reason. Things happen and then you find meaning. And I thought that that was so, it, it was like poetry to me <laughs> because it's so true. You know, we go about our lives um, within motherhood and our journeys into motherhood thinking like, oh, well, you know, I suffered that subchorionic hemorrhage. You know, it must have been a reason why that happened when, um, no, like I don't have to assign that guilt and that shame to me. Like I can decide to reject that guilt and shame and offer myself something other than that. Like I have the option to still put my meaning towards whatever event or situation that occurred. I don't have to accept that initial feeling that I have, right? And I encourage you to do the same. It is quite, um, difficult or challenging to wrap your head around um, a birth story that may not be um, similar or sound like your birth story. But, you know, if there is anything that you can take away from this, I would hope that it would be, again, just the many opportunities for a mom to be able to... Um, again, shift that perspective. And, you know, I'm sitting here smiling because I'm just thinking like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And, you know, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was my education and, you know, me having been in the profession. Maybe it was God. Maybe it was my support system. Maybe it was me just, you know, thinking about my sweet boy. I'm not quite sure, but, you know, whatever it was, it allowed me to be able to um, utilize my strengths, which were <laughs> challenging those irrational beliefs that told me otherwise, that told me that, you know, that these things that were not working in my favor meant that my birth story was a horrible and devastating birth story or that it wasn't worthy to be told or that um, there's shame surrounding me having to deliver early or there's shame around me having had a baby who weighed less than five pounds or, you know, guilt that comes with, you know, not being able to initially give my baby only breast milk. Um, this is an opportunity for me, for you, for other experts, for mamas out there to show and tell another mama that her birth story is important. It is significant that regardless what happens, that those stories, those, those memories they are worth telling, that there's someone out there who can identify, that can put themselves in your shoes, 
and can take something away and know that there is so much meaning that they can put towards their birth story that does not have to be the negative situation. That does not have to be the negative aspects of what occurred. If there's trauma that was experienced, there's so much healing. There's so much there's so much healing in the grief, you know, the the grief that I wasn't able to um, birth my way, right? I wasn't able to have my vaginal delivery, that um, the grief that came with me not being able to um, experience those first couple of moments with my sweet boy, like there's grief in all of that. And I'm sure there are other mamas out there who are listening to this who can too identify with um, grieving the hopes and dreams that you had surrounding your birth story. Um, And when I say birth story, also just that journey into motherhood, you know, I also grieve the experiences of having been in pain all of those years and not having the joy to look forward to, you know, family planning. And I, I was, I was bound by fear. And this story in this podcast specifically has the whole heart intention of removing and encouraging you to resist the urge to accept that fear, to choose something differently. Um, because there's so much more. There's so much more. I do want to thank you for listening to my birth story. I hope that it um, met you where you are today. Um, and I look forward to seeing you all next week or hearing from you all next week. Um, Leave me a comment, message me. If you have any questions or concerns, I'll put a trigger warning at the beginning um, of this podcast. Um, This is my reminder to myself right here. Um, But yeah, join me next episode as we tell someone else's birth story. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And again, for now, follow me on Instagram at breaststory.therapist or connect with me at southeastperinatalcounseling.com. You can also email me at crystal at southeastperinatal.com. Sorry, southeastperinatalcounseling.com. And then lastly, this podcast does not replace being connected with the licensed professional. If you are experiencing a life-threatening emergency, please go to your local emergency room or contact 911. You all enjoy the rest of your evening.